Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. Today is the November 3rd, 2017 edition, and I'm your host, William Hayashi. Um, it was really strange yesterday. I was actually interviewed at KBOO, K-B-O-O-F-M, in uh, Portland, Oregon. And being on the other side of an interview, it's not hard, but it is different, you know. So uh, I had to do that yesterday. If you're ever interested, I think you can stream it from their site, kboo.fm. Tonight's special guest is Terrence Rosemore, and uh, he's an artist, a film, film filmmaker, and award-winning actor. Um, and uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I can't get, uh, I can't wait to find out more about him. So welcome to the show, Terrence. How are you today? I'm great, brother. How are you, man? For a guy my age, dude, I'm uh, I'm I'm doing all right. I can't really complain because um, any day above the dirt is a good day. Do you agree? I agree, man. Look, don't don't have me. Don't, let's not turn into our fathers. You know, it's like hey, man. Every, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. I think the guy called somebody's got a commercial where all these young people are sitting around dressed like their dads. You know, saying. Dad stuff. So yeah, <laughs> but I, I agree with you totally, man. That's that's, yeah, that's all yeah. we are. We're just happy to wake up every day. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, uh, where are you coming to us from today? I'm actually in New Orleans, in the Treme area um, uh-huh. of New Orleans, Louisiana, man. Working or do you live there? What's the deal, man? I'm back and forth between here and Atlanta, and then uh, every once in a while they'll beckon me to L.A. I used to live in L.A. for uh-huh. 10 years, but um, as a result of the shifting uh, production, you know, coming out towards the southeast, I relocated uh, to New Orleans uh, a couple of years ago. You know, because what happened was when I was living in L.A., probably for about three or four years, 50 to 60% of my time was spent, you know, in New Orleans or, or Atlanta. And right. so I said, I may as well just uh, get a place down here, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this, um, because a lot of you know, obviously, people who don't live there. I'm in Chicago, and I do, I have no idea. But when you take a look around you in New Orleans, um, what what do you think of how well it has progressed after after the storm? You know, after after the destruction of that city, for all practical purposes. That's a good question. I wasn't living here when it happened, but I would be, you know, like I said, I've been working back and forth. But um, it's a different city. Uh, the demographics has changed. Um, that change is a double-edged sword, uh, you know, depending on who you ask. Uh, the, the good thing is that, um, you know, uh, some of the infrastructure had, had, an op- you know, had an opportunity to upgrade some of the infrastructure. Um, 
and redevelop some areas. And then, you know, the, the downside is that um, not as many native New Orleanians, you know, it's a gentrification thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think so that probably people, happened. I'm sorry, so a lot of people, did, they fled the area and did not come back. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think some people, uh, you know, they went other places and they uh, had greener pastures or better opportunities, better schools. Um, some people, I, I talked to somebody recently who left, and they're scared to death of another Katrina, you know. And um, Well, I mean, you look at look at what happened to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's in the exact same position that New Orleans was post, yeah, post, yeah, post Katrina. Houston, too, yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I had, um, my plan was to retire in the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands. I was going to go to St. Croix. I was going to mm-hmm. pick up a home that was like a four-bedroom house so that friends could come down, you know, from Chicago, you know, from, from crappy weather mm-hmm. places. They could come down and visit. I'd have enough room to, you know, to host a few people there. But, right. man, after watching what happened in September, I, I can't see it. I can't, I can't go. I can't look for a house someplace where, okay, let's say best, best case scenario. I have a great house. It's built well. Maybe it's an earth berm house, you know, that's really protected against the worst of what um, mm-hmm. uh, could happen during a hurricane. And and I've got, uh, you know, I've got bottled water. I've got a generator and everything. That That's not like paradise for me because everybody in the neighborhood is going to know what I've got. Right. That's not right. cool. They're going to come by my house going, you know, knocking on the door. Yo, Will, uh about this uh, this dry area you got here called a home. Uh, you got some food. You got water. You got light. Uh, we're gonna be bringing my look, friends in here, and we're gonna hang out. Look, you know, look, in your house. They, they're not gonna say, "Yo, Will." They're gonna kick your door in, man. I heard some That's stories. That's exactly right. Uh, I, I tell you what, man. And, and, uh, I don't. I don't know if you. I didn't mean to cut you off. I don't know if you're a fan no, of no, The Walking ahead. Dead. Uh, the show, yes, The Walking absolutely. Dead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, some of the you know, so basically that's what happened. I think what happened before Katrina, and even people in California with earthquakes, man, people think that when the hurricane is going to come, I'm going to sip, you know, I got beer, water, and snacks, and I'm going to watch it on CNN, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, or either the lights might be out for a couple of days or whatever. But uh, the stories that I heard, it was, you know, I think it was the first time um, – for that longer period, uh, comparing it to the riots of the 60s, that sure. you had a, a city in, uh, you know, anarchy, basically, you know, like the purge almost in some cases. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard stories of, you know, uh, people who, uh, who stayed and they were rarely, you know, they were on high ground or they were safe, they had supplies, and they had other people, you know, that was uh, coming in, 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 in some cases attacking them. Not, not everybody. You know, I think these, People were in the minority. They were the exception to the rule of most of the people there. Other people were just trying to survive, take care of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. I've heard firsthand stories, man, uh, you know, from, you know, multiple uh, people about, you know, stuff sounds like something straight out of uh, The Walking Dead, some of the experiences that they went through. Yeah, I, and I look at the, up here in Chicago, obviously we've got the cold, and that's the one thing that kind of gets me. You know, I'm getting older. I don't appreciate the cold. It, it, it really beats up on my body. But, you know, most any place in that, in that zone down by, by you is, 
I mean, we watched we watched the storm march up through the Tennessee Valley, you know, going all the way up to like the Carolinas, you know. So stuff like that can happen any time. Um, I mean, look, it happened. It happened in New York with Sandy, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the the New York subway. Look at look at the water that was pouring out of the subway, you know. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's changing times, man. You know. Yeah. So now, um, where where you're living now, things seem to be coming back to normal, or how would you characterize? Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. We're twelve years out, so there's, there's been a lot of development. Um, you know, some of the new people that that have come, you know, I, I think right after the storm, housing was cheap. So um, you know, a lot of people came in who were able and they invested. And so mm-hmm. the you know I think the unfortunate part of that is uh, the uh, some people are getting priced out as what happens when you you know a place is gentrified um, and that's right. that double edged sword you know the values are coming up and you know um, places are, are, are you know the uh, aesthetics are better but um, you know the, the the housing is like on equivalent with L A was like five or six years ago. You know, um, and so um, it's it's coming back, and um, it's uh, the one thing about New Orleans is that no matter what happens or how much it's gentrified or whatever, the culture is from the people. You know, that's that's it's it's rooted here. So that's what makes uh, New Orleans special. You know, the culture and the people and uh, there's enough of natives here to represent that and, you know, keep that thing. But I, I think, uh, you know, um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's coming up, you know, it's, it's got challenges. Yeah. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're in the middle of a, a mayor's race where we will soon have our first African-American female, uh, first female period mayor. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting over the next four to eight years to see what's going on. So it's it's, it's mixed bag, you know, uh, like any any place that has gone through uh, something traumatic like that. Sure, sure. Um, and and you know the other thing about uh, Louisiana is don't they have some uh, very attractive tax incentives for film the film industry there? Yeah, they do. They they kind of tweaked them in 2014, and um, okay. basically what they did was they put a cap on them. And really, and theoretically, the cap wouldn't it wouldn't have affected the uh, the studios or the companies that shoot films that much, according to the numbers on the caps. But as soon as they put the cap in, everything went east uh, to Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, you know, I think North Carolina's tax credit sunsetted a couple of years ago. Um, and so it, it kind of went away, you know, I'd say probably, um, probably about 60% of it disappeared, but then they tweaked it again, um, you know, last year uh, or earlier this year. And so it's kind of, there's, there's been a, you know, it's, it's kind of coming back, but it's not at the level it was like in 2013, 2012, when you had almost, you know, like a billion dollars in production. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the the geographical layout, and you know the main city in Louisiana is New Orleans, and so 
we're surrounded by water north, south, east, and west. Uh, to the north of the city is Lake Pontchartrain, one of the largest lakes in America. And then right. to the south of us is the Gulf. And then to the east and the west are swamps, or, or Lake mm-hmm. Catherine, if you're talking about the east. And so um, it's a small city. Without traffic, you can go from one side of New Orleans to the other in about 45, 30, 30 to 45 minutes. So the advantage that I think Georgia has is that it's not landlocked by water, you know? Right. And, uh, for example, we shot, you know, I worked on Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think it, it was Fairborn County where um, the, uh, what's the name, Pinewood Studios, which was, uh, you know, is where they shot all the James Bond stuff in England, but they uh, built a, uh, you know, a, a, a subsidiary of that in this little town or uh, county about maybe 30, 40 minutes, maybe even an hour outside of, I think it's south of Atlanta. And so that's, okay. that's the, I think that's the advantage that Georgia has, man, is that from the center of the, you know, city, which is uh, downtown Atlanta or whatever, um, you can push out in either direction. And uh, it's a lot of rural stuff once you get outside the suburbs. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so many people are coming to Atlanta from every coast, you know, from New York, L.A., and everywhere in between. And um, so Atlanta's uh, metropolitan footprint is actually getting bigger, even though, you know, some of these places outside of uh, the the county, you know, it's kind of, you know, everything is connected by the uh, highway. So they've got the infrastructure, they've got the uh, personnel, uh, and so they're booming right now. I think at, at one point somebody told me they had like 77 TV shows shooting in Atlanta. Wow. I mean, that's a lot like Chicago. I mean, we have we have great tax incentives up here. Any any production that goes over one hundred thousand dollars in their um, in their budget gets a fifteen percent tax credit. Now, so, now is that the minimum? You know, or, 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 you know the, the high, the, is that the minimum? In other words, if you have a bigger budget, could you you know uh, max out more than the fifteen percent? No, no, no. It scales out at fifteen percent, a flat fifteen percent across the board. But for like, you know, I want to do a, a movie up here. I want to do a, a bank heist movie. And I, I really haven't put in the time to find the money that I wanted. But one of the things that I have to give, you know, the people who, you know, the executive producers, the people behind the money, is I can sell those tax credits because they're selling for between 90 and 95 cents on the dollar. Right. So and that was kind of – I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and so, you know, our budget is about $2.5 million. And and that's going to be quite a bit of tax credits to be able to offer up for um, for the people you know who who help us fund this movie. Um, and, and and that's uh, and, and that's the thing with New Orleans, man. I think at one point, if you if you hit all the incentives, you could uh, double that. You could do up to thirty percent in New Orleans. Oh, that's sweet, man. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Now, and that's that's now, do you think that's they're going to redo that? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, well, I think it's still 30%, but what they've done is they've put a cap on, like, the amount that they would give out uh, per year, you know, per... Okay, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's what happens. Like, you know, people, um, they... And I think the tax credits might be good for 10 years. So a big studio, say if you're going to do a Marvel movie, which several have, uh, you know, I think a couple of TV shows, and you know, they did Logan here. 
Um, well, you could come, you know, say if you don't, if, if they max out at the cap, I'm, I'm going to just throw a number out. I think it might have been 180, 180 million. At a certain okay. point, they're going to cut them off. So, say if you come in and at the beginning of the fiscal year, let's just say it's January, and you got a $10 million movie, they couldn't guarantee you that you were going to get the tax credits back for that year. Um, okay. Depending on what other productions came and filled that cap up. The, the irony of it was that the cap, um, you, you know, the pre, in the previous years before they, they put the uh, – they put that into play at the legislature, the cap hadn't been reached. And so, um, but theoretically, you know, the studios were like, look, man, we go to Georgia. There is no cap. And so we will get out, you know, we, we know we'll, uh, we'll be able to cash our tax credit in at the end of the year or when the production is finished. But um, what, what happened with New Orleans uh, was that there was some, um, there was some graft. And the graft was in the reselling of the tax credit. Okay. And so, so I think one of the things that they did do is they did tighten some of those uh, loopholes up, so there would be less, um, you know, collusion, for lack of a better word, uh, for people who was, you know, um, had bad intentions. But that was that that was one of the things that they were saying that you know, hey man, people, you know. Um, there's there's some corruption going on in this, and so um, the uh, we we've got a, a state legislator uh, J P Morrell, who has uh, been a, a real huge advocate for the uh, film industry, and and then also too, you know you're talking about when they tweaked this thing in 2014 2015, Louisiana had a budget shortfall, and so uh, you know we were the new kids on the block, and so I think the petroleum industry got together and lobbied because they got scared. You know, they get subsidies too. And so everybody was trying to make us the, the problem child. <laughs> and so they, they, yeah, exactly, man. It was politics, you know, it was good old Louisiana politics. I'm going to call it what it is, you know. Um, but I, I think once they, when they did tweak it, they had one fiscal year to see that the tax revenues that was coming in went down substantially. And I think what happened was they couldn't substantiate the money of the what was spent uh, for crews, and the money the crews were spending and putting into the uh, economy from, you know, either renting or purchasing homes. Supplies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, it's it's Food, hard to you know exactly. consumables, gas, everything. Yeah, there's a huge that Chicago really looks forward to that. That's a big deal. Like when they did those Transformer movies. Uh huh. We came out so far ahead of the incentives that the mayor and the, the governor, well, you know, the city and the state gave out, that we still had a real a really good net gain. And I think that's why they they haven't talked so much about capping it. Because when you look at, you know, what's a transformer budget? I mean, that's a big-ass budget, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> and so they're going to offer million, you know. Yeah, and, they're going to offer incentives for that in Chicago. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, man. It's, we we do. You know, it's it's it's. Um, my theory was that, uh, you know, how Hollywood keeps books. <laughs> you know, they don't let anybody play with their money. Uh, you can't even get into their books as far as residuals. I'm talking about like A-listers. I think Bruce Willis and somebody else just sued <clears throat> Sony or somebody from. Uh, well, you know, I know Stallone. It was Stallone. Yeah. 
the yeah. loan just had, you know, said they owed him like $68 million. And so normally the way things kind of work in Louisiana with petroleum and in industry, you know, you come uh-huh. in and you grease the palms and you do some things and you'll make it right. Well, Hollywood, the way they keep books, man, and, and you know, because constant uh, films and movies are, are, are perpetually in the red. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. If, if you listen to Hollywood uh, production houses, the studios talk, it's as if no movie in the world ever made a nickel. Exactly. And so um, when when they couldn't squeeze them, you know, they said, okay, we'll fix them. Because they were just, you know, it was a very simplistic way that they looked at it. And it was and it, it was horrible, man, because it really, uh, like I said, we lost about 60 to 70% of the business to Atlanta. And some of that stuff, once it left, it's not coming back, you know? Right, right. Now, now I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell you the good thing that happened. Um, the positive was that the indigenous filmmaking community got stronger. Um, you know, people who uh, had, I forgot what's the minimum you need to qualify. It might be like maybe three or 400 grand, kind of like in Chicago. Okay. I think you said half a, half a million, right, was the, Hundred thousand, hundred thousand, hundred thousand. Okay, okay, and I and, I, and I'm not sure because I hadn't really checked if they tweaked it. But what's happened is that um, we had the infrastructure, we've got these crews, we had these creatives, and you know everything is run out of L.A. or New York, but mostly L.A. from a creative standpoint and, and from a um, administrative standpoint. But what I do see is independent cinema. Um, is stronger because now we have production houses, we have equipment, you know, and, and what's cool, what's, well, the other side of that sword of the, the uh, business leaving is that you had rental houses, and so if they don't have as much um, business as they'd had in the previous years, you can get deals with them on equip- equipment rentals and stuff like that. And, uh, right. you know, they'd be willing to work with you. And they figure, you know, a little of, of a lot is, you know, is just as good as a you know one big. A thing, little you know. of a lot is better than none of none. Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so they. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sir. Thought. Well, I was I was thinking if we could pivot, let's you know first of all I, I want to I want everybody to know a little bit more about you, and then I've got some other things about you know, uh, uh, all of the content producers now, all of the people who are getting into the game, you know, you got Amazon, you got Netflix, you got, I mean, all up and down the, the, the row. But let's talk a little bit about you. I mean, when you started out thinking about being in this industry, was that where you started, period? Or, I mean, what was it that brought you to film? Was it stuff that you saw early in life? Um, it's, tell it's people a, weird a little story, bit man. about it's, you. Go ahead. Absolutely. It's a weird story, man. When I um I I originally wanted to be a writer and a producer. Uh, this okay. was like in the in the eighties. Uh, you know, people told me I was funny and you know, I was a class clown. You know, get in trouble all the time. Just you know, mischievous. Um, and so uh, you know, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And then I saw Eddie Murphy, and I was like, okay, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to be the next Richard Pryor, and then you know, Eddie Murphy kind of was the next Richard Pryor. And at that time. You know, comedy wasn't on TV. You know, it was, it was usually like one guy. It was either Bill Cosby, right. it was Richard Pryor, and then it was Eddie Merck. And everybody else was just right. kind of like, you might see him on the improv at midnight on the weekend. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, um, 
And then I want you know, I was like, okay, maybe I'll get in the radio or whatever. But um, I, on a dare from someone, I was at a play, beauty shop, the original play beauty shop. And, uh, okay. And I was like, oh, yo, man, I can do that. And I was like, man, you ain't going to do nothing or whatever. And then uh, my, that, that was a Saturday night. That next Sunday, man, I'm sitting at my house, and I'm like, wow, you know what? I'm 25 years old. Uh, 25 years from now, I don't want to be sitting in a chair talking about cutting with a shutter. So I said, okay, you know what, man? Everybody always told me I'm funny and that person. I'm, I'm going to do this. I had no idea. There was no tax credit. You know, you might do one or two movies a year and every other year in New Orleans. Um, I was going to Southern University of New Orleans night school. That Monday night, as I was about to go to my class, there was a poster for a play for a dashiki theater with Dr. Ted Gilliam. And, uh, you know, had auditions. And so I went auditioned, got the role, and, and when I got into the game, and I, I, you know, my thing was I, at the time I was working for Shell Oil Company, which uh, I'd worked there for almost 10 years. Uh, and so, okay. uh, you know, I started working there almost uh, right out of high, you know, like early in college. And so um, I, uh, I had, you know, great job, benefit, great benefits, but I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And, you know, I'm a creative, man. And so um, when I got into the acting stuff, I was like, okay, cool, man. I'm going to kind of do this, but I really want to write, direct, and produce. You know, I want to I create content. And um, I ended up getting bit by the, uh, the acting bug, you know, like really loving it. Because I, I think I did theater from, I think I, I got started in 1989. And I, I did plays for about three years straight, man. I must have been about. 20 plays in three years, you know, uh-huh. um, about three or four years. And so uh, maybe a little longer, maybe about, about four or five years, actually. And so uh, I started my own theater company. I started writing, producing, directing stuff. Uh, then I got cast in my, my first film that I got cast in uh, was a, a student film for the University of New Orleans uh, called Widow Paris about um, Widow Paris about a voodoo queen. Marie Laveau, okay. who was a very famous uh, New Orleans voodoo queen. And so that was my first, uh, you know, it, it was a lead role, first time I'd ever been on film, you know, did pretty good. Then I, my second film, or my first legitimate union film, was Candyman Part 2, you know. Right. And, and so I had a job. So I was working full time. I'd take off, take vacation days, whatever, to do movies and, you know, whatever. And so... I was cool, man. I, you know, I had my own stuff going. And then, it, you know, I think at a, in about the early 90s, uh, I, you know, I just got tired of the coffee thing. I said, man, I'm going to just do this jump. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And so, okay. uh, I, I, you know, I, I got it. I left corporate America. And um, some kind of way, man, I made a living as an actor and, and, and a musician. I'm a drummer. I'm a retired drummer. Uh, and so what it was, man, I just kind of cobbled, you know, between teaching, acting, my music, my art. You know, I was just, you know, I just found a way to, 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 to make a living. I was happy. Uh, and then um, about 1998, 99, you know, I said, okay, acting is cool, man, but I really want to segue into writing and producing. And I knew that I couldn't afford to go to USC or NYU film school. So I decided to start working on crews. And so I kind of left acting after about 10 years. 
1999, I got hired as Cash Money Records casting director. And then um, I went on to uh, be a personal assistant to directors and writers. And I, I worked on all kinds of films. You know, I did everything on a movie, man, you know, from craft services to, you know, PA to whatever. And, um, sure. And then in about, um, I guess, uh, 2010, um, I, and I would, you know, what happened was when I was working as a producer and a director's assistant, um, and, and I know it's a science fiction thing, so I'm going to keep name dropping some of these science fiction uh, movies. I worked as uh, John Hurt's assistant on The Skeleton Key. And, okay. And uh, we, we shot like half of it in New Orleans and half of it in L.A. And so um, I saw all the work going on in New Orleans. I'm going back and forth. My son lived in New Orleans. I was in L.A. And so I said, you know, man, my son's about to graduate out of high school. I want to be close to him. And, you know, my, fam- my father's getting older. And I was spending half of my time in New Orleans anyway. And so I said, you know, I'm going to kind of make a presence down here. And, and I kept uh, Wendell Pierce, who's a good friend of mine. We grew up competing against each other in um, Little League, and he's actually been a professional mentor to me, uh, you know, for the last 30 years I've been in the game, really. But um, Wendell and a, a good friend of mine, James Rock, who was a, an assistant director and producer and director in the game, they kept telling me, yo, man, you need to come, you, need to, you know, get back into acting. I was like, no, nah, man, I'm a, I'm a producer. When I, while I was, let me backtrack a little bit. When I was in L.A., I was, uh, you know, I ended up producing and um, directing and writing uh, a lot of, uh, you know, either documentaries, low budgets, you know, just t- some TV stuff, you know, just whatever work I could get, man. And, sure. um, yeah, and so, so I, was, I was doing stuff, man, and work, I worked for Dr. Phil. I worked for the doctors. I worked for the Nielsen Company, you know, just, just uh, you know, trying to make it happen. And so then, you know, I was like, um, well, you, you know, I, I kept hearing people, man, you need to get back into acting. I had been away for 10 years. And the thing about when I moved to L.A. in 2001, I was really reinventing myself from an actor to a writer-producer. I didn't want to go out to L.A. and be one of, you know, 10,000 people a week who's coming there to do that, you know. Right. Uh, not, nothing's against it, and I respect and love actors, but I was kind of like I, – I, and, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'm, you know, back up a little bit more, man. I, there was a point in time when I'd audition for stuff, and uh, – you know, I was like, oh, man, you know, it, it might be something that was set in Louisiana, but it was written by a woman in Britain, you know. Okay. And so, so yeah, she came, and she's a great writer, and she spent a year <laughs> and took about that long, but she wasn't from here. She hadn't walked in my shoes, you know. Right. That's, that's like me trying to write a, a script about a, a, a 12-year-old Chinese boy, <laughs> you know, in China. And so that's that the the, the um. I think a lot of the writing reflected that. And so a lot of the actors, we'd be frustrated. And so I was like, you know what, man, we got to start writing our own stuff. So that's what I started doing. I started writing plays and I started doing short films. And so I went to L.A. and, um, you know, I, I just started getting hired, um, you know, as, as a director and a producer. And so uh, I, I just I made the decision to come back to New Orleans uh, about 2010, 2011, man. And uh, I got back into acting. And um, when I got back to New Orleans, I had 24 IMDb acting credits. I think I have like 65 now. So I've done like uh, 
you know, actually, I think I got like 70-something, um, if you count for me. I did um, a couple of seasons on there. It only counts as one sure. on IMDb. But uh, I did 10 episodes. But, yeah, man, so that, that, that was it, man. And, you know, I, I said all of that to say that at the end of the day, man, I'm a storyteller, you know, um, whether it's with my music, my art, as an actor, as a director, as a producer, all of us who are, you know, people who love science fiction, people who love movies, it's, it's one of the oldest uh, pastimes in, in uh, you know, for human beings. Storytelling, sitting around the fire, you know, drawing stuff on the cave, all that stuff right. is telling stories, you know. And so uh, that's, that's the long version, the long, short version of who I am and what I do. And, and okay, so, you, you know, I, not that I'm as prolific as you, because I'm not, but I kind of followed the same kind of path because I fell into movies by accident. Somebody wanted to take a short story of mine and adapt it, you know, to, to be a movie short. And, mm-hmm. and from there, then, then I did script doctoring. Then I did this. I, I mean, I actually had a nervous breakdown the first time I wrote a script because it was for the 48-hour film project. Mm-hmm. And I, I did my first one in New Orleans. I, I had never written a script in my life. I was actually just there to help punch up dialogue. And then we found out that the guy who was supposed to be a writer was actually an actor acting like a writer. And so I freaked out, man. I freaked out because I had to write a script, and I, had ne- I didn't even know the format. I knew nothing. And for about an hour and a half, nobody could talk to me. I'm just sitting there sweating, like blowing my mind, because there's like 35 people looking at me going, is he going to be able to make a script so we have a team? You know, so, you know but they were very <laughs> careful with me, and they were very no, – I mean, I was, it was crazy, crazy. So, but from there, you know, the next day I'm doing script supervising and, and you know, I found the location. And, and, and I think that coming at it from that perspective, rather than maybe going through a more traditional film school, I think mm-hmm. that probably gives you a much, much better perspective of the entire industry and not just the industry, but the artistry to get from A to B, to get from start to finish. You know, yeah, so, so I, I have to right. I have to I have to admire how you did it because you did it the way that makes the most sense to me. Now, you know, we have Columbia University up here in Chicago and it's a film school and uh you know, a lot of our PAs, a lot of you know, we get a lot of talent out of Columbia for, you know, the the different things that we've done up here and mm-hmm. and you know, it's not that they obviously they have skills, obviously they pass tests, obviously they know some technical things, but mm-hmm. they even they tell me they don't feel like they really fit in until they've actually gone the route that you did, tried all these different parts, seen how it gets put together. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty cool way that you went about it. Plus, now you've got, you have credentials for so many facets of doing film and television that for you to drop into a role is is not such a foreign fish-out-of-water endeavor. Wouldn't you agree? I, 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 I absolutely agree, man. I tell you, when I, first, um, when I first got into acting, a friend of mine was producing a reggae uh, concert, you know, like a festival. Okay. And so uh, I was just kind of doing some, you know, doing a video documenting the vendors and, you know, for, for next year's, 
festival and the cameraman who had been uh, working in TV news for, you know, probably 20 years at that point, he said, man, you're going to be a producer. And I was offended, <laughs> you know, because at that point I got uh, bit, bit by the acting bug, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and had forgotten, you know, my my original deal of trying to be a, a, a producer or whatever. So I was like, I'm an actor. And um, it's funny, though, because having been an actor, having been a PA, having been craft services, having done grip electric, um, I can empathize with these guys and, and I can approach them and ask, you know, and, and, I, and I know what buttons to push and what buttons not to push. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like uh, I remember when I was living in L.A., I went to uh, the DGA had a, uh, a workshop and it was directing actors. And, okay. um, and one of the biggest things that came out of that thing, and I mean, they had legendary um, directors on the panel, man. I, I forget the names, but um, I remember the, the concept, the thing that I wrote in my little notebook was that um, the, the most uh, profound thing that came out of that workshop was uh, these directors saying, go take an acting class. Uh, a lot of times you have directors and they go to film school and they know all this technical stuff, but they don't know how to deal with human beings. And, and, and more, more specific, they don't know how to deal with actors, which is a right. different animal. And sure. so, uh, yeah, so that was the most profound thing. And so that that spread for everything for me, man. And, and I remember my first, you know, it's one thing to be doing little gorilla shorts, but it's another thing when I'm going to, a, a, you know, direct or produce, something that has a legitimate budget. I got like a crew of 40 or 50 people, you know, right. looking at me for answers. And so uh, I was scared <laughs> to death. Uh, you know, I'd probably done like, you know, 50, 60 different projects as a director or produ- producer before this. When I, the first couple of times when I had these, first of all, I can't sleep the night before, you know, and I'm uh, dotting all my eyes, crossing all my T's. You know, and, and as a producer, you know, and even as a director, man, you got to be, you know, a, a good producer puts out fires. A great producer's, uh, they don't even start. Right. <laughs> you know, right. You, you know, you're being proactive with it, and so um, my my experience helped me. And as a matter of fact, man, I tell you, there, there are times I don't know if you felt like this. You know, when you kind of do a bunch of stuff, you say, man, maybe I'm spinning my wheels. Maybe I just should have stuck to one thing, and you know. Maybe I'm, you know, the way I did it is kind of crazy. And this guy who had been, he was a sound man. And you know how, how cranky sound men can be, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the sound guy came up to me. As a matter of fact, they call him the Wiz, man. I, 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 he had a long ponytail. A guy had been in the game 40 years. He'd worked on Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, all these big movies. He came up to me, man, one day in the middle of, uh, I think we were shooting a pilot for Comedy Central that didn't, didn't get picked up. And I was one of the producers. And, Jimmy Walker, J.J. from Good Times, was the, uh, right. you know, the, the star of the, the thing or whatever. And this, the, wiz, the wizard came up to me, and, he was, you know, he had a sense of humor. He looked me in the eye and he said, man, I've been in this business 40 years, and I've never met anybody like you. And so I'm waiting for the punchline, <laughs> you know. Right. Oh, so absolutely. He, he, you, you think yeah, yeah, he'd pull your leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd pull your leg, man. So I'm, I'm waiting for it, you know. And I know the wizard because he and I are clowning all the time. And, he, and, and I'm, you know, he see I'm waiting for it. He said, no, man, I mean that. He said, I've never seen anybody with your skill set. And he looked me up on IMDb because I was actually the executive producer talked me into being in the thing. 
Uh, okay. You know, I ended up having, yeah, I ended up having a role, and I didn't want to do that because when I was producing, I did not, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't uh, put myself out as an actor. I didn't look for acting work. I didn't audition. I was, I was you know, sure. a lot of times when you do different things, you got to prove people that you're really, you know, trying to do that. And you're not just trying to scam your way into an acting role or something. And so um, he told me that. He looked me in the eye, man, and it was no punchline. And he said, I really mean that, man. He said, I've never seen anybody do what you, you know, how you, you know, your skin set. And I went into my little three-hole office, man, and I, I cried, man, because uh, it felt like somebody, okay, I'm going in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, okay, oh, yeah. Cool. I'm not. I'm not crazy. Okay. You know, this is my little scattered way of doing things. And, and, and like you said, man, I think even though it seems scattered, um, I, you know, it's like when, when you're talking about filmmaking, it's, a, it's truly, it's, the thing I love about filmmaking versus art and uh, film and, and even theater, uh, you know, is in the same boat with filmmaking. It is truly a collaborative art. And that's the thing that turns me on the most about it, man. You get a group of people. You know, we've got the same goal, which is to make something wonderful, to tell a story, and we might have different opinions on how to get there, but at the end of the day, man, we all, we're really all trying to do the same thing. And right. you learn, right. you grow, you fight, you hug, you, you, you agree to disagree, you disagree, you, you get cussed out, you cuss people out. <laughs> uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, we, we can look each other in the eye and say, hey, man, I gave my best. And you gave your best, and I appreciate that. Not, not only that, that, not only that, but when you get validation that not only did you work your ass off, but mm-hmm. that you all pulled it off, that's huge. We, we finished. It, it is, that's man. That's huge. It's, I'm you telling know, you, man. A lot of people. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, man, the hardest thing in the world, I don't care if you've got $100 million, I don't care if you have two thousand. I don't care if you have twenty thousand, two hundred thousand. One of the hardest things in the world is to complete a feature film. Because it's so. I, you know, you know I, I you... can't. I can't. I can't disagree. Now, I will tell you that I have been lucky as I've been very lucky. I forgot we're PG. Um, <laughs> I, I've been well. How many people do you know that their first four scripts got made? Uh, you're probably the first. <laughs> so, yeah. so I am. So I am lucky. All right, but the thing is, is those four scripts would not have been made unless the people around me ha- it pulled together. You know, um, and they're just shorts. They're shorts. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, James Cameron or anything like that. But, but, but no, man, people, you started something and you finished. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the thing. Okay. That's the thing. And even even having a nervous breakdown and, and making that happen. Oh, you want to hear what happened for that uh, that that first thing that I did? Absolutely. I'm, there, I'm sitting there sweating. I lost my mind. I I, uh, I I had to take a break at like 11. Took everybody to where I thought a good location would be. We came back. I finished writing the script by five in the morning. I'm crazy by that time. I go home and I sit up on the couch and I'm watching TV because I have to open the location at 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared to death I'm going to fall asleep. Okay, we shoot wow, everything. We go, to about, <laughs> we go about 11 o'clock Saturday night, and they start breaking down, and I have to stay at the building and close it up because, um, actually, 
it's where the U.S. Marshals have their office, and I do office work for them and for some other things in the, in the building, and they gave me keys to get in and, and the, right. the key card so that the police don't come. So I finish all of that up, and I think, oh, man, I am so glad this is over. And guess what? You ready? You sitting down? Right. I won for best script for 2009 on the Chicago leg of the 48-hour film project. Wow. That's amazing. Well, see, I you and I have a lot of common, man. But did you, uh, I'm did, sorry? You have a le- did you have a legitimate nervous breakdown? It was, it, yes, it, it was legitimate. Now, you know, I, 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 have, uh, I have some training in uh, the psychological sciences, and I will tell you right now, I was a gibbering idiot for about an hour and a half. I mean, no bullshit. Excuse me. Right. I'm so sorry I said that. But, but I, I honestly, <laughs> could, I could not speak to anybody for an hour. I was I was completely freaked out. I was sweating through my clothes, you know. And and we're mm-hmm. in a building, you know. We we fortunately we're in a headquarter building, downtown Chicago, and everybody's sitting there and they're treating me. Can I get you anything? Want to get rid William? Uh, how you doing, man? Uh, uh, here, let us get you a dry shirt, you know. And they, I mean, they they dude, I was gone. I was just <laughs> mentally gone. And and finally, I said, you know. I'm looking at all these faces looking at me, and I said, i got to do something because, you know what, if I don't, none of these people get anything out of this weekend. So I took everybody's mm-hmm. headshot, and I taped it to the bottom of the whiteboard. And then above their head, I put uh, a role that they were going to play. Because you know how, it, how the 48-hour is. You know, you have yeah, yeah. 12 rules. And then above that, then I put their names. And then I rearranged them so that people would talk to each other. This this maintenance guy. Anyway, uh, people can look it up if they look me up on uh, YouTube. It's called the no. It's called uh, it's called Fallout. But I Fallout? Uh, it, it honestly, what, yeah, Fallout. What year was that? What, what year was that of the forty uh, nine? Okay. I just did my first one a couple of months ago. How'd you like it, man? Other than the no sleep, wasn't it exhilarating? It was. I tell you what, I was only an actor. And then I ended up, I think I, I, they gave me a screenwriting uh, credit. Okay. And I ended up writing a lot of stuff. But um, it was cool, man. They, uh, the guys, my, my, my guy, uh, Benjamin Simmons and Danny Cartel, they were the directors and producers, uh, respectively. And so they had been trying to get with me for the last three or four years. And it always happened, man, where I just wasn't available because of my shooting schedule or whatever. And so right. this year... I said, look, it man, we're going to make it happen. And, and I'm going to tell you nice. something else I share with you. The very first script that I wrote that, and wrote and directed, I came in second place in the Louisiana uh, Film Festival. Uh, my, now, I, it was cool a short. Was that? It how was, cool man. Was that? And, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that was a blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you another thing you shared with a buddy of mine, uh, Jason McNeese, man. Jason was my supervisor at the Nielsen Company. And the Nielsen, okay. you know, they, they started off, they were doing the ratings for TV, and then yeah, they, uh, yeah, yeah, and then they started uh, doing stuff for movies, you know, when you fill out the cards, when they're doing the screeners. But anyway, right. just like you, man, Jason was, uh, he wrote a short story, and it won an award, I think, in Portland, Oregon, and it was about uh, zombies, but it wasn't the normal zombie deal. And so Jason said, hey, man, I got this thing, um, short stories, you know, I won an award for it. Then I read it, I was like, yo, man, 
my buddy CL, he, uh, you know, he's looking for a project to direct. I'll produce it. You know, can you turn this into a short? And so uh-huh. I gave him some gave him some guidelines. He turned it into a short, uh, about nine pages long. And then we we brought in a DP and another guy, my friend Luis Quintero. Uh, he was going to produce and shoot it, and then. We went from nine pages to about sixteen pages, and then the budget went from like, you know, like a hundred bucks to like five thousand or something like that. And so I say, hey man, you know what? If we're gonna do this, let's just make it a feature. And so I sent Jason away. I gave him a deadline, okay. and Jason came back, man, with a feature, and it was his first time writing a feature, and it was one of the best features that I had ever read. Uh, first time writing. And see, people think that that people who haven't done don't know how to do, you know. And and I'll be honest with you, I think I see a lot more people like your buddy, and not maybe a little bit like me, but people who who ha- who come at it genuinely from art and not mm-hmm. from getting a check. They exactly. often turn out some of the best stuff because what they're doing is a. They're they're using their creative juices, and B, in most cases, the beginning starts out with a love for, of the game, and not and not just trying business. to get their yeah, and not just and trying to get that thirty thousand dollar writing credit, you know. Right, right, and, and look, the, the business is important, but if you know, like I, I know a lot of writers in L.A. Man, they've got like they used to have development deals, or they didn't, you know, they'd be on staff and. You know, they'd be doing shows that never went anywhere because of politics or whatever. You know, they'd get laid off or fired or whatever. And what happens, man, that stuff starts sucking your soul out. And I, I remember I always, I would always tell my writing and directing friends in L.A., you know, they would be, you know, everybody wanted, you know, wanted their break and they were kind of despondent about it was taking them long or whatever. And I was like, look, man, enjoy this period right now. This is the best time of your life your creative life and you don't even know it because you're doing, you're writing, you're directing, you're doing with what you want to do. As soon as people start giving you legitimate money for it, it's it's not yours no more. You know what I'm right. saying? Right, it's, right, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's collaborative. It goes back to, and it's, and it's business. And I think when we start in it, we come in from our heart and we're passionate and we want to tell good stories. But when you, when it becomes business, it's, you know, uh, it's a different animal. Now it can still be, creative and, and entertain and, you know, people can get into it, but, you know, it's it's called show business. Not It's called show business, well, but it's actually the business of show. Yeah, and the thing is, is you do, you know, when, you, when you're using other people's money, you have to dance to a different type of tune. You know, it, it, like you said, it, it is the, the business part. I, I cynically used to tell my friends, you know, they go, well, you know, right, you You've done this, blah blah blah. People like what you do. Um, have you ever thought about going to Hollywood? And and I always tease them. I say, no, isn't Hollywood where you go for the streets and die? And and and, <laughs> and if we were to be honest, you know what the stats are, right? Uh, as far as what? Ninety-seven percent. Ninety-seven percent of the people who work in Hollywood, um, of that only, or excuse me, of the hundred percent of people who work in Hollywood, only three percent work full-time in the film industry and the TV industry. Yeah. That's, uh, I know that. you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that, but that's, I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. Let's take a pivot yeah. here because, you know, you, you look at stuff 
I look at stuff, you know, I'm looking ahead, not necessarily like I'm going to have a big career or anything like that. I got, I got two features in me that I want to get out. And then, mm-hmm. and then I, I really want people to just hand me a lot of money so I could be that guy on the porch screaming at kids to get the hell off my lawn. Okay. But, right, right. <laughs> but everybody, everybody finally figured out what AOL Time Warner understood way at the beginning, but we were still using dial-up modem speeds for the internet. And that is mm-hmm. content is king. Um, and, and for people who really, 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 really want to get in on what, I mean, obviously you could do the jobs. You could, you could do, be a PA, you could be the sound guy, you could be the, you know, the, the best boy, whatever. Mm-hmm. But where the rubber meets the road is people who create the content. Um, one of the thing, one of the things that I want to ask you about is because you've got your ear much much closer to the ground than I do, is is the Hollywood industry, and when I say the Hollywood industry, that I mean Georgia, I mean L.A., I mean mm-hmm. Louisiana, I mean even here in Chicago. But I don't, you know, I don't concentrate on it the way you do. Are they really learning their lesson about the fact that people want not diversity? but they want movies to reflect the reality that they know. I think they get it when there's dollar signs attached to it. In other words, Hollywood is not racist. They might be prejudiced. They might have some bigots in it. But generally speaking, you know, most, most of the guys, are, uh, they're capitalists. You know what I'm saying? They, yeah. they oh, want yeah. to make money. When you're talking about when the studios first started, you know, those guys, even though they weren't writers or they, a lot of them weren't, weren't really educated or if they were educated, you know, they, they, they didn't come from a marketing standpoint, you know, they might have studied literature or whatever. They, these guys really love story and they had an instinct to know good story. I'm talking about the titans of MGM and, uh, you know, all these, all of the legendary studios when they first started. The guys who were heading these studios, and what's funny is that the majority of them came from within a hundred mile radius in Eastern Europe. You know, who were Jewish guys who uh, came from nothing, and they, uh, you know, if you know the history of movies, they were doing most of the stuff was in New York before Hollywood sure. existed. Oh yeah. And they were, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So when they, you know, at one point they were thinking about going to Vegas. They were gonna put Hollywood well, in Vegas or somewhere. Yeah, well, Hollywood started out almost as a a movie and creative ghetto compared to the New York scene. You know, the sophistication and the money of the New York scene. Absolutely, and and you know, the, you know, most of it when you're talking about popular entertainment, most of it was live. It was vaudeville, it was Broadway, and so movies were kind of look, looked at as porn almost. You know, because you had these little right. you go into the little Nickelodeons, you put a coin in, and you might see a two or three minute clip, a comedy thing or some kind of action thing or whatever. But um, as they saw the earnings, you know, again, man, they had visionaries. Uh, and so when these guys saw where this could go and what it could do, you know, they needed space because New York was kind of crap. And so they went out west and built these studios so they could create these worlds and tell these stories. And so I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I forgot your original question. <laughs> well, no, I was I was talking about I was talking about diversity and how they came about it, and and I think yeah, yeah. let me see if this answer satisfies what you were thinking. 
that, yes, there are prejudiced people out there. Yes, there are racist people and misogynist people and stuff like that. But the color that everybody respects is green. Yeah, and I'll and I, and I tell you what the deal is, man. Um, you know, it's like um, Get Out. Um, that movie, you know, because the thing, I'll tell you what the thing was with minorities is that Hollywood always said, you know what, you know, say you get a black movie. It'll it'll do well with black audiences. And then say you get one that's a crossover. Okay, it did well in America, but we can't sell it overseas. Then they got right. to the point, well, we can have a black lead like Will Smith or Denzel Washington, um, and we can sell them overseas, but we can't sell other people. And it became a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so what happens is that when you have a Tyler Perry, regardless of what you think of the you know, the quality of the content that he creates, when you have a Will Packer, when you have Get Out, which was, um, you know, um, was kind of like a, 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 an outlier where it was marketed as a horror movie, but it was really a thriller. And it was a smart thriller. And it, and it, right. and it touched right. a very, you know, it touched a very um, controversial subject matter. And um, but it was not only the quality was good, it was good, it was smart, and it made money. As a matter of fact, I think it was one of the first uh, black directed films, a film, you know, uh, African American films directed by a black man to make a hundred million dollars. Uh, and, and and the quickest, and the quickest. Exactly. And so you've had other African Americans, you know, guys who directed like mega blockbusters like. Antoine Fuqua and F. Gary Gray, but you've never had uh, uh, all black cat. Well, a a black uh, director with with a you know a black uh, story. You know, all black was, people uh, above the line, for the absolutely, most part. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and I and I can't substantiate that because I don't know who who else was on that team, but I do know that um, when when that happens, and then when Black Panther comes out, that's going to be a game changer. Because again, man, you know how the people in Hollywood they're capitalists, man. If it if it's green, it makes money. You know, we gonna go to that well because it's it's, it's kind of like the NFL or any sports team. Whatever somebody did to win a championship, it's a copycat league. You know what yes, I'm saying? Yes, it is. <clears throat> and well, so you know, content, go, ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say you're absolutely right, though. My my thing is content is king, and I think especially now with the Amazons and the Netflix and the web stuff and all that, they know that now, you know, that people, especially this, the generation, about maybe two generations under us, I'm 53. And so the kids who are like in their 20s, early 30s and, and down, they're, you know, if they're, they're, gonna, they're not going in the traditional places to get content. They're, they're going to find stuff that, that caters to their specific taste. And that's a good thing. Um, my, myself and C.L. Taylor, who's my writing partner, and partner in crime, a bunch of projects that we did when we were living in L.A., we were, according to someone who told us, man, we were one of the first African-American uh, creative teams to create a web series in 2006. That's, that's that, what they told us. I'm thinking back. That, that's, that's damn early. No, that, that's, that's, that's definitely laudable, man. And, 2007, I'll tell you another thing. I didn't mean to cut you off. In 2007, we had our own virtual network, thanks to Bill Duke and Tim Reed, man, and, and Paris Barclay. I uh, I used to go to a lot of workshops, 
And that when I lived in LA. Wow. And uh-huh. between those three guys, man, they said something. Tim Reed said, "Hey, man, distribution is king." Everybody's talking it about, is. you know, that. Yeah, everybody's talking about directing and producing. Distribution is king. And then I went to an Arizona film festival, and Bill Duke was the keynote speaker. And he said, "Look, man, everybody always asks me why doesn't all the rich black people, you know, um, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, Bill Cosby, come together, put their money together." And and do a studio. He said, man, we don't have to do this. He said, first of all, it's, you know, it's, it's it's too many moving parts for that to be a guaranteed success. Uh, you sure. know, too many different tastes and agendas. But he said, what I decided to do, instead of building a studio, you know, physical studio that costs money every day, whether you shoot or not, I created, I want to create a virtual studio. And then something clicked in me. I was like, a virtual studio. In other words, you create content, and then you you know, you do it on your own. And then uh, Paris Barclay, I was um, at a screenwriting workshop that he had, uh, was a special guest at, and he, he was talking about how the content, how advertising and branding and marketing was getting embedded into, uh, into the, into the uh, you, know, you know, content. Now, we always, you know, we've, we've had product placement for a while, but he was just talking about like it was a conscious effort. It wasn't like, oh, we got a movie, we need a, a, a liquor, so let's go get Jack Daniels. He's talking about <laughs> at inception, you know. Right. Let's, let, and so I, me and my, my partners, man, we kind of took that thing and um, we got called in to Sony, Crackle, Universal, because what was happening was I, I knew a lot of people in the business, and so we, we'd send them, you know, clips and, and some of these things. Most of it was like comedy sketches and horror shorts or, you know, stuff like that. And so people would be like, oh, my God, who are you guys? And so they called us in for a meeting, and uh, each of the meetings were about 15 minutes long. <laughs> uh, and basically what they wanted to do was, like, see, make sure we weren't foaming at the mouth. Um, mm-hmm. I think when we, went, when we went to Universal, it was the, the, young, the young lady that was over diversity, a Latino okay. young lady, I forgot her name. But uh, she was like, man, who is the guy? And, you know, like, she gave our background. I was like, man, this is awesome. This is, I see you guys, you know, I tell you I don't have a budget, but the content is there, the funny, the storytelling. And uh, basically what they did was they just kind of put us in their pocket, okay, you know, because it's almost like a funny or die, like a, like a farm team type deal. But what was the thing that was going against us was this is in the middle, you know, you're talking about 2006 through 2010 maybe, the economy was upside down. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the industry itself was going through a huge transformation. You know, it was getting fragmented and fractured and stuff. And so, um, you know, th- that's what I was saying at, 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 the, at the beginning, man. If you build it, they will come. If you're, you're, if you're an actor or you're a Latino woman who um, you're an actress and, and, and uh, you're not getting the kind of roles that you think you deserve or want, man, write your own stuff. Get with some yes. people who have cameras who won't be spent. Yeah, man. And, that, and that's where it's at. And, you know, I, I saw something very interesting that uh, is a Jordan Peele that directed Get Out. Is that correct? Yes, it is. He said something uh, recently. I read an article. He said that, uh, you know, he, he did great with Get Out, and all of the major studios came to him, and they wanted him to do some blockbuster stuff, you know. And right. uh, his deal, his thing was like, man, I'm not doing that. Not now. He said, I'm, I'm just going to incrementally go up the budget chain. 
Because what happens is they love you now. When they give you $100 million and it doesn't perform, it doesn't have to, you know, the movie could be great. Critics could love it. People could love it. Uh, but if it doesn't perform to, to, you know, if it doesn't hit the benchmarks, you might have, you know, you, you might get another shot. Uh, but but it's, it's that much pressure. And then so what happens is that you get away from storytelling and you're trying to hit these incentives and, you, you know, you're really trying to hit these benchmarks and that starts seeping into your creativity and your casting and, you know, your, the, the content of your story. So, you know, uh, he's, he's being very intelligent in how he's, uh, he's handling his career. So I'm watching and I'm curious what his next thing. I've heard some rumors of some stuff he's going to be doing supposedly with Spike Lee or some other people. But, uh, you know, again, man, that's, you know, we, you, you really have to be an entrepreneur and think like a businessman as a, pre, uh, a content creator in this world. Because you, you, it's almost like um, you don't really have to wait for Hollywood to come get you, you know. If, if you can scrounge up some resources and, and you know what you're doing, and, and there's quality there, you know, you can, you can set off a bidding war at one of these festivals for your, your projects. Yeah, but, and, and then there's, there's the B side to the coin that, you know, not only is he not wanting to go from what he just did, you know, with Get Out into, you know, a $100 million budget, there is value in going through your learning curve instead of hopscotching forward. Because when you hopscotch forward, you increase the chances so much for failure because there is so much you don't know. And and the other thing is, is let's be honest, if he's going to go from whatever, I don't remember how much Get Out was made for, but to go. I think $4 million, $4 million, $4 million. Okay, okay, so there's a budget of $4 million there, which, you know, now that I'm thinking that my budget is $2.5 million, I better be damn good because. With, you know, like you said, if you don't do well, it's harder to do the next one. But but the thing is, is to go from $4 million to $10 million to $15 million and, and the relationship that he has to maintain with the money as he gets mm-hmm. into bigger and bigger budgets, that's, that's something that cannot sustain a lot of mistakes, you know? I, I, absolutely. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. And so the B side of him going slow is learning the most essential part of, of success, and that is managing the money and managing the money people because that's, that, right. there's an art form to that too. You know, and you do uh, have absolutely. to answer to somebody else. Like if I, if I, people have told me, okay, so you're close to getting your budget for doing this thing. It's called the Chicago job. It's a, it's a comedic bank heist movie. And they go, man, when you get that money, you're going to be on Fat Street. I'm going to say, no. I keep telling them, no. You know, you don't understand. When I get that money, that means I owe somebody more than that money. Right, right. And then, and then right. they get quiet because they never thought of it that way. They thought, oh, man, you got two, two and a half million dollars to do a movie? That's great. Everybody else is doing movies here in Chicago for five, six, seven thousand dollars blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, they get all excited, but the the pressure, you know, the, the best movie that I ever helped produce, I did. I did the movie. I think it's about an 11-minute movie. You'll see it on my YouTube channel. But it cost me $139 in food. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So so I'm no. supposed to go from yep. $139 worth of food to $2.5 million? I damn well better have some smart-ass people around me to Absolutely. make sure I don't make mistakes because that's that's the other part. Okay, so I'm a Japanese, so I'm light-skinned, so I talk like this, so I don't sound like J.J. Walker. They're still going to step on my ass if I mess up that money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the chance to be getting... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, man, regardless of how you look, man, it's like if your first time out, as, as you step up to that next level, whether you're a female, whether you're a guy who you didn't come from NYU or USC and you came from Florida Central, I mean, you know, even if you came from one of those places, man, if, if it's your first time out, you're under the microscope, you know. Oh, absolutely. And, and but, I, but it is and, true. It is true that, you know, white privilege does give you some allowances that the rest of us don't automatically get. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that, we're yeah, be yeah, not, yeah, yeah, no, no, and I'm, I'm not disputing that, you know. But I'm, I'm just saying, yeah. man, it's, just, it's, it's tough for filmmakers, period. And, and, period, and, you know, you yeah, can say, period. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not trying to discount the struggle, but it's just like, you, you know, man, it's, it, it is, it's tough, <laughs> you know. And, and, and so the degree of difficulty is, you know, it's, it's cranked up a little bit more for us, you know. Or for uh, an Asian woman. For women. Or, look at look at the yeah, big yeah. deal uh, they made about uh, uh, Wonder Woman and the budget and oh this woman director oh it's the most money made oh it's this oh it's that no she's a professional she did a good job you know I don't think yeah. her ovaries had anything to do with the job she did just between you I, and me. No, exactly. I, I, I tell you what, man. When I was in LA as a producer, I was always on the lookout for talented. Uh, female producers and writers and directors. Sure. Um, because I knew thinking? that they, my thinking was that I knew that they were very, very talented. They had very few opportunities. They they weren't going to come in like some smarty pants guy who thinks he knows everything. They were going right. to bust their ass and they were going to be cheaper, quite frankly, from a business standpoint. You know, it would be easier Financially, if, if if I got someone and she hadn't really done anything, um, I can get her before she blows up, and I can get sure, her in good sure. shape. And what I mean by that, she's not gonna come on and be like, "Oh, this thing here, I'm just kind of waiting for my, you know, my script to get okay." <laughs> yeah. she, she's going, she's she's coming in, and she's you know she's she's you know attention to details. Uh, I worked on right. Queen Sugar this past <laughs> season, and. Um, as as of as of when I shot my episode, which was in like in the spring, and then I think it aired like in June. Every okay. direct every director of every episode up to that point had been female. It was all female directors. They were Latino. They were black. They were white. They were over fifty and over sixty. They were you know some of them were in their late twenties. I mean, it was one of the most diverse. Uh, Set of directors, lineups, lineups, yeah, 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 and, and uh, that, that's beautiful. You know, that's that's the thing, man. It's like um, we, and it's not just in Hollywood. It's not just in America. You know, we we've, we've had this. Uh, you know, women have held women, minorities, uh, anybody who is not in quote unquote uh, mainstream. You you know, it's always been a challenge, or it's a little harder. You know, you got more obstacles to deal with. And again, man, I think it just makes you more resolute 
more focused. Uh, you know, you you know what you're up against, and so there's no excuses, there's no whining. You just do it. You just right. do it. You get in and you do it. You know, and let the tips fall where they may. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about your trajectory a little bit. Where, where, uh, what are you doing? What kind of projects are you working on right now? And then, you know, what, you know, yeah, let's talk about what you're working on right now. What have you got, like, in the next 12 to 24 months? Okay, great, man. I, um, I, last year I shot a movie with Rob Ryan. I mean, Rob Ryan, Rob Reiner. Um, okay. You know, he's, he actually, I think today, LBJ opened with Woody Harrelson. Um, but we did a thing called Shock and Awe about the second Gulf War, similar to okay. Spotlight, with, with Spotlight, the way they handled the subject matter of the uh, child abuse in the uh, Boston Archdiocese. Well, basically, okay. this is from, a, from a, a journalist's point of view about the rush to war after 9-11, and I played the father of a kid who uh, signs up for... Um, Army Rangers after 9/11, he gets um, he gets paralyzed, you know, at a certain point from the waist down, and so uh, that's you know it's kind of like an ensemble piece. Uh, it was mm-hmm. great working mm-hmm. with with, with uh, Rob. He's he's like uh, he's he's a national treasure, and he's also he knows what he wants. You know, he's been doing this for over 50 years as an actor, writer, director, producer. You know, done some iconic stuff, Princess Bride. You know, Stand By Me, I think. Um, so that was great. Um, what else I got? Uh, I'm trying to think of stuff that I've shot that I've got coming up. Uh, I got a project that I can't say too much about, but it stars a lot, a couple of uh, – it, it has Laurel Howery from uh, Get Out. Uh, okay. He's, he's the guy that played the uh, TCA, TSA officer. Um, mm-hmm. And he starts starring with him. I got an opportunity to work with T.C. Carson, J.B. Smooth, Mike Gimps, uh Rick Ross makes a um, a, a cameo in it. Um, who else? A uh, couple of uh, NBA people were in it. Um, I, I can't say too much more. Uh, and then on a personal level, uh, I co-wrote a script called Third World with my uh, screenwriting partner, C.L. Basically, it's about the history of uh, of crack coming to New Orleans, you know, in the early 80s through until, like, maybe 2000. We follow two kids, um, and as they grow up in the city that is changing around them, kind of like uh, City of God on that vibe. And then okay. um, I'm, I'm, I'm attached as a producer to a script called The Smiths, which is I'm really excited about it. It's a zombie uh, script written by Jason McNeil, uh, Jason McNeese, my uh, former supervisor at the Nielsen Company. And um, this script was actually written about two years, two or three years before The Walking Dead premiered on AMC. And it's about uh, a family of four in a small rural town outside of uh, Los Angeles in California. And the town is overran by zombies. And so they, you know, they're kind of having some dysfunction in the family, and then they they have to deal with the dysfunction plus these uh, zombies and a crumbling uh, economy. Because I think mm-hmm, he's you know, mm-hmm. kind of while we, yeah, yeah. So basically, it's a character-driven uh, zombie script that I'm really, really excited, man. It's a good project. 
And then I'm uh, working with this Nigerian producer, uh, Austin Abikwufwe, and uh, we're um, we're kind of in the early development stages of possibly doing something that I wrote. What I'm in the process of writing called Cries in the Dark, and it's kind of like a thriller um, of, um, you know, it's kind of set in Louisiana. Then I got a uh, a script about a, a, a rural family in the South that wins the mega lottery and uh, how it changes the trajectory of their family. Uh, sometimes I'm just calling it lotto right now. But, uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, man. So, so yeah, I got, I got a lot of stuff going on. What else? Uh, I'm I'm ghostwriting for a, com- a com- comedian friend of mine in L.A. I'm contractual. I can't say his name, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's okay. That's that's kind of, yeah, yeah, man. That's that's cool because, like I said, one of my first dreams was to be, be a stand-up comedian. So I'm vicariously getting to do that through him, and maybe one day I'll even get some cards and just go do a couple of minutes of stand-up one day at an open mic or something. Uh, uh, I don't know. Doing, I don't know why Kevin Hart doesn't just say that you do all his writing for him, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, oh, hey, hey, I got wait yes, I gotta, real quick here. I got a I got a Walking Dead tie-in. Um, I, I I I write novels, and my second book in my trilogy, the cover was done by um, the artist who does who did the artwork for the Walking Dead TV show. So I just wanted, you know, because you mentioned, yeah. Um, what's, what's, what's the name? It's it's called uh, Conception. Um, I I don't know if he wants me to use his name or not, but but okay. uh, well, I'll okay. tell you this real quick because I just got my first inquiry about TV and movie rights. Uh, someone asked uh, from overseas if they're available for my trilogy, and my trilogy uh-huh. it's called the Dark Side Trilogy, and it tells the story of what happens in the United States of America. When the country mm-hmm. finds out that black folks have been secretly living on the backside of the moon before Neil Armstrong got there. Wow. And so I'm I'm kind of you know I'm I'm trying I'm 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 I have I'm holding my fingers about an inch apart. I'm that excited about the fact that I got an inquiry, but an inquiry is just that you know nobody has mm-hmm. options or anything like that. But right. I'm happy that someone's even looking at it. You know, because they don't ask if they don't want to know. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. So, right. No, no, that's, um, that's, yeah. that would be great for me because you know, anytime somebody wants to hand me some money so I can just not have to deform laptops and fix people's crappy networks and stuff like that, that's a <laughs> right. good ass, that's a good ass day for me. Um, right. So, <laughs> um, maybe you know, one of these days, maybe I might even you know call you up and say, hey, look someone just offered me this, what does that sound like to you? Because you know, you know, I have no idea what stuff like that is worth. And that's the other thing about the industry. There there are so many moving parts to the movie industry that right. that the only way to get a handle on you being your own master and, and making your own way is to do exactly what you did and find out what all the moving parts are. And and I would I would definitely advise that to anybody listening to this show. You know, if you're interested in T V and movies in any of that, you know, find out what's going on in your local town and see how stuff Absolutely. is done. Because, I always tell you people, know, people man, don't realize go ahead. No, I was gonna say I always tell people Google and YouTube are your best friend. You know. It's it's at yeah. your fingertips. When I first started I had to go to the library. 
you know. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm an avid reader. I love reading, so it wasn't a problem. But, I mean, it's like, um, you know, there, it's like sometimes like looking for a needle in a haystack, man, but the information is there. You have to be, even if you don't want to write and direct and produce and just want to act, you still need to, um, you know, be educated on how these, what, what roles these people play and, 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 and projects and, and, and understand and, and realize, you know, why you didn't get cast. It wasn't because you can't act. It was a business decision, and it's not personal. And so don't right, let it, right. you know, drag you down. When I worked as an assistant to the directors and producers, I had an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to see the inside of the casting um, side of, of, of making movies. And, man, it was fascinating. It was very educational to see what were some of the reasons why people did or didn't get cast. And, and you know, majority of the time, it, it had nothing to do with your talent, you know. And that was that was the thing that was interesting to me, man, was to, uh, let's say, for example, in the casting of a movie, and you get called back. You get a call back, you know. And for people who don't know the industry, you, you go audition one time, and if they like you, then they'll call the people that they like to meet the director or writers, if it's TV or whatever. And sure. um, you don't get the call back if you're not good. So don't go into a call back and say, oh, you know, the fact that you got the invitation, man, hey, you did something good. Um, you know, what, my first um, lesson and the business was in, I guess, the early 90s. I got cast. Uh, I had auditioned and got cast in a Steven Seagal movie called Under Siege, which starring okay. uh, Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. And so when I went audition, man, it was just like, you know, it was one of the most, you know, just plain auditions. You know, it was kind of like weird because it wasn't a lot of dialogue. It was like a gunfight scene. I'm like, watch it. There he is. You know, that kind of stuff. And right. I felt silly doing it. I felt like a fish flopping around, but little did I know that they were looking for someone to be his sidekick. So my agent at the time, um, she called me and said, hey, Terrence, they, they want, you know, had to, they were shooting in Mobile, Alabama, because I think they had a submarine that was docked there or something, maybe the USS, the USS Alabama or something. But anyway, okay. um, I, I, I went to the uh, audition twice. And then my agent called me. She was excited. She was never, you know, she was so used to having clients booking. She just called and said, hey, you got the gig. They're going to call you with the information, blah, blah, blah. And then she's on to the next call. But she was excited, man. She's like, oh, my God, you booked. You got a lead role with uh, Steven Seagal. You're going to be a sidekick. And so, man, I'm, ha- I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happier to leave um, Shell Oil Company than I am actually booking the gig. You know what I'm saying? I, right. I can't wait to write my dear, kiss my butt, all y'all letter so I can get up out of this toxic environment. So um, so what ended up happening, man, was like, you know, day or two goes by, we don't hit on Hey, that's cool. You know, three, four days go by, I call. I never call my agents inquiring about auditions, man. I do it and I leave. And if they want me, they'll right. call me back. And, not. and so uh, it, was, it was the only time, one of the few times, if not the only time in my career that I called so. They haven't heard anything, you know, I'll let you know they're busy, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, it's, all, it's going on a week. And then I call you her. She's like, no, she said, I think it went away because they're not even returning my calls. So, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, man, what happened, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And then maybe about two years later, two or three years later, man, I'm reading an article in Entertainment Weekly. 
And Seagal has another movie that's coming out. So, you know, they're interviewing him about that. It was the one with Mars Chestnut on, a, on some okay. kind of train. You know, on a train. And so what I, what I read in that article was that um, they originally was going to have a sidekick in the previous movie, Under Siege, but they changed the plotting of it. And instead of having, a, like, a black guy, you know, who was going to kick butt or whatever, they had a girl pop. It was like, a, I think it was somebody's birthday on, in the plot of the movie. They had a Playboy buddy pop out of a cake. So instead of yeah, having, like, missed, a... Yeah, uh, August, yeah. Oh, go yeah, ahead, yeah. I'm sorry. So instead, Yeah, instead of having, like, a, a kick-ass guy, they decided to up the degree of difficulty by having him, you know, with this girl, who, which made his job to do whatever he needed to do more difficult. And so I found this out like two or three years later. And so I wasted two years of, oh, my God, they didn't want, you know, something I did, whatever, whatever. And it wasn't even about me, man. It was just, uh, uh, yeah, so that was the first time I learned the realities of the industry and how things can go. And I just decided, you know, from that point on, man, to take everything with a grain of salt. And, and then and that same, I, I'll tell you, the flip side of that story was, uh, I was one of the Ravagers in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which came out you okay. know, with me. And so the audition for it, um, I didn't even know it was Guardians. It was just Untitled Marvel Project. And so um, I, um, you know, I auditioned for it. It was a very short, it was, it was just like that, uh, you know, that Under Siege thing, man. It was just, you know, a bunch of yelling and screaming, you know, like an action thing. And they said, you know, do it three three give us three different takes, sent it in, man, forgot about it. I'm in Georgia hanging out with family for the holidays. I'm about to drive back to Louisiana, and my uh, I have my one of my agents is located in Atlanta and one's based in New Orleans. And so my Atlanta-based agent saw her phone number, and I'm, you know, I'm almost at the Alabama state line, man. I'm like, oh, man, they must want me to come for an audition or something. I don't feel like I'm not going to turn back. I answer the phone. She's excited. Like, you, you got guardians. Of the, you got guardians. You got guardians. You got a lead in guardians. I'm like, God, what guard? What are you talking about? Guardians of the galaxy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't audition for that. Like, yeah. So, because I think what had happened was I had auditioned also for, I think, might have been Spider-Man or something else that they were doing in New Orleans. It was two different. Uh-huh. It was three Marvel things that I had auditioned for. And all of them were very okay. secretive. Untitled, you know, we didn't have a lot of information, and so I didn't know what she was talking about. And so then I was like, oh, okay. And so the biggest gig of my career, man, was the opposite experience of that thing that happened 25 years ago, you know. And so uh, I thought that was that karma was pretty cool, you know. Hello. You still here? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, I, just, I was just saying, I, th- I thought that karma was pretty cool, man. You, uh, you know, have 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 the opposite thing happen. That just goes to show oh, yeah. you. Oh know, yeah. Well, and, the, and the thing is, you don't know because you know when you go in for an audition, it's exactly like you said. The decisions are made at a level that you never find out about unless you're lucky enough to read something later, or in case somebody right. calls up and you know, with courtesy to call your agent and say, well, we. We decided to go with, uh, we really wanted to have fidgets 
instead of full-size people because then all our shit would look bigger. You know, you, you don't hear that until, you know, you never know that. And that's, you know, I, I was going to ask you, based upon the kinds of things that you've gone through and the things that you just, just described, what's been the most useful lesson that you've learned in this industry? Nobody knows anything. See, that's what I'm talking about. And, and you can, you know, it, it, that makes so much sense knowing the little bit I know. And, and, and so one, nobody knows that's, anything. No, man, because I tell you what, you can look at the top director, the top writer, right. the top actor. You know, let's, let's pick uh, Will Smith or Tom Cruise or Martin Scorsese or even Steven Spielberg. And these guys, you know, he's got 20, 30, 40-year careers. And you can look at their right. resume and you can see some movies that cost a whole lot of money that didn't make any money or that right. were panned or that failed, didn't meet the expectations. You know what I'm saying? And then you can, sure. you know, you can look at some other thing where I remember um, – you know, sometimes you'll have a thing, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to do this little project until, you know, this big thing we're doing next year or whatever, and it'll blow up out of the water. You know, um, I, I forget which actor, somebody that was in, oh, uh, when I was working with Laurel, um, Mike uh, Epps asked him, he said, man, um, did, did you have any idea that Get Out was going to do what it did? Sure. And he said, he said, no, not really, man. He said, you know, it was a, uh, it was a, you know, interesting script. I was like, well, okay, this is different, um, and it was fun, and you know, it was cool working with Jordan. But you know, I, I, we didn't have any idea it was going to do, it was going to have the legs that it had. And right. so, so that's the number one thing I'd say, man. Just um, the only thing that you control in this industry is the effort that you put into getting better, regardless okay. of what it is, acting, writing, whatever. Um, another thing I would say, and this is kind of, this is really from a business standpoint, um, the perfect triangle of uh, having a successful business is to, number one, do something that you love, number two, make a profit at it, and number three, make a positive impact on your community. And if you could hit those three things, and they're all kind of dependent upon each other, you know. Right. Uh, That's your trifecta. That's your trifecta, man. So, but, you know, you, you, you really have to do a lot of you – know, look, man, you, you and I have reinvented ourselves several times. But sometimes oh, yeah. you might take, take this circuitous journey to get to land, you know, where you eventually want to land, or maybe you even – something you thought you wanted to do, you might end up, you know, 360 degrees away from that. So you just got to sure. do it. Get the reputation. That, you know, it's, business is about relationships, the people that you work with, the people that you get to know, um, you know, it's about karma. I'm at a point where I like to hire nice. I'll take somebody that's less experienced if they've got the right temperament over somebody who's, you know, really, really good, but they're difficult. And, okay. uh, and if you're a director, 80% of the success of directing is in casting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, that's it, man. Just do the work, man. Just, just you know, whatever your craft is, whatever it is that you uh, want to do, uh, just get good at it. And like I said, man, the Internet, you know, there's, there's a plethora of information out there for people to do research. And another thing I like to do, too, is look at people who've, uh, who've done 
what I want to do or who are doing it. I look at people who have had a similar background, a similar journey. You know, when I was 25, I felt like I was old. You know, looking back now, I'm laughing at that, but I remember being 25 and just getting into it. And a lot of the people that I was competing against, they had been doing it at least since they were teens. You know, they did speech and debate in high school. I'd never done a play. Uh, I think I did one play when I was, like, in second grade. You know, I was, like, an extra, <laughs> you know, okay. a Christmas play. Or something. But I, I had no experience. I, and I was um, a of, well, a young lady I recently met. She's doing an art installation on the riverfront here in New Orleans. I was riding my bike and started talking to her. So she's like, man, I know you from somewhere. And we take it out. You know, she's a fan of Treme. And so um, she was like, you know, she started asking me questions about my career and how I got started. And I was telling her I had no formal training. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I'm kind of hesitant to say no formal training because that on-the-job experience and, and, and working with, you know, people that were better than me, that is formal training to me. But, um, sure. you know, I didn't go – and, and, you know, kind of getting back to something that you were talking about earlier about uh, going to college. You know, it's a, the double-edged sword to that is that going to college, you you, uh, you you cultivate relationships with your classmates, and you have deadlines that you have to make. You know, in other words, if, right. you, if you're in writing right. or you're in, screen, you're in screenwriting or directing, you, you know, you have projects that you have to complete. Um, but it's, it's kind of, everything is kind of, um, you know, it's kind of built upon, reaching those goals, where in the real world, like I said, man, it's like, you, you know, um, you just, the best way to learn to do something, I think, is to basically do it, even if you're doing it for free when you first start. Um, you, you know, I, I think the people that are technically proficient and creative and also have a, a sense of an entrepreneurial sense, those are the people who have the, the longest and the most fulfilling careers. You know, if you look okay. at Madonna, Michael Jackson, the Beatles, Kiss, Louis C.K., Kevin Hart, uh, Snoop Dogg, all of these people are very, very conscious of their branding. Even, you know, the Beatles and Kiss back in the days, uh, you know, Prince, um, these people were very, very aware of uh, what they had and how not to oversaturate the market and when to oversat, you know, like Prince, man, he wanted to put two or three albums out a, uh, a year. Warner Brothers had problems with that. So he was actually, he had actually had the, the opposite problem. But, um, you know, I, I think people who, uh, who have those three things going or aware of those three things, uh, they tend to have uh, the longest careers and the most consistent mm -hmm. careers. Well, people make fun of Madonna, but talk about somebody who has reinvented herself so many times um, oh, yeah. and, and not to say that she's so relevant today, but at least she is not, she's not a has been, you know, that you just don't think about. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, okay, yeah, so let's, yeah. And so let's look at, let's look at the converse side because, you know, you, you've been through a lot. I mean, I'm, I, I really admire the fact that you're where you are today and your persistence because, there, there's far too many people who, who would have any time along your trajectory would have quit. And we know that. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you know, 
it's it's tough to keep going, especially when you know you seem to feel that everything that everybody says about you invalidates you as a talent. So so mm-hmm. in your case, what what was like the low point? What was the hardest thing for you to get over to keep you going? And and what did it take? Because that that's interesting too. People people are not taught coping skills in school. They are not taught coping skills right, in right, college. Right. They are not taught. Right, right. People aren't even taught how to talk to each other anymore. You know, if exactly. you want to learn something about somebody, you got to get the get the heck off your phone and quit texting them and go find out who you're talking to. So no, absolutely, you, man. And no, yeah, you know, you can look at the political um, landscape today, and you know. Uh, discourse is, you know, at an all-time low. Uh, yeah. You know, countries divided. You know, uh, you know, you look at what's happening in Spain. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of discord. But um, you know, um, my, my thing, man, is um, you know, just do it, man. Just do it. Just do it. Show up on time. Be professional. Uh, treat people the way you like to be treated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But for you, and, and, did you did you ever hit the wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I I tell you what, man. The the thing I can say about that is that endurance. You know, uh, one of one of my right. lowest points was uh, it was about two or three times, and quite frankly, I think it was divine intervention, man. It was a time when um, in the mid '90s, um, uh-huh. man, I, I was down to like. I might have $40 to my name. My rent was due. I had like a two-year-old son, um, and I was sitting on my sofa, and I, you know, I was just like bummed out. And I was like, man, I can't, I can't do this. I got, you know, if it's just me, I can hustle. It's great. But now, now I have a kid, and so I, I you know, I, I have to be responsible. And so I said, Creator God, if send me if Send me a if it is meant for me to keep doing this, send me a sign. And and if not, I'll you know I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll go do whatever. I'll just go back to whatever and go get a regular job or whatever. But I I, I cannot do this to my kid. And it's funny, man, because I remember I I heard the mailman come like two or three hours before that. And I rarely pray for money or anything like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I heard the mailman come, but I was like, man, that's just more bills. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't even mm-hmm. want to go check the mailbox. You know, that's just more bad news. And I was, I was at, that was, I, I, I remember it like it yesterday. Man, that was the first lowest point. It wasn't the only one, but it was the very first lowest point. And I said, man, I just can't do this anymore. If you, if I'm, to, you know, if it's, if you want me to, if it's meant for me to do this, send me a sign. You know, and I'm just kind of talking, just saying. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm really heartfelt and like I, I cannot do this with a kid. You know, so right. I was really just kind of talking to myself. And so, man, I finally get up and go check the mailbox, and it was a thousand dollar check that I was not expecting the residual from something I had done. And that thousand dollars, this was like in 1994, 95, something like that. Man, that thousand dollar check was like twenty thousand to me at that time. It was like a million dollars. You sure. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, so what happened? I mean, that was that was like the first time I really came close to quitting. 
And, man, when I went open that textbook, man, I just, like, I couldn't believe I was like, oh, my God. And so, I, man, I just got energized, and, I, you know, I just regrouped. You know, I paid my rent and, you know, uh, you know, took care of my kid. It was, you know, just, okay, man, I'm, I'm in it. Uh, and, and so what do I have to do to not be in this position again? You know, what, what do I have to do to not be in this position again? And so right. uh, that, that's. Man, that happened to me like twice, man. Two, maybe maybe three times. Another time, I remember I was in L.A., man. Same thing. I was down to like I had like seventy five cents in my pocket, <laughs> and and uh, and and had that same conversation, you know. And and it was it was crazy, man, because it was just like the the second time I'd had this great job offer, and um, they 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 had they I got I got hired on Friday. On Monday, they laid like everybody off, <laughs> you know. And it was it was in the movie industry. It, was, it wasn't going to be acting or directing anything like that, but it was going to be uh, with a company that uh, regulates locations. When you go on a location, um, you know you have to have a representative from the from this company that had a contract with the city. It was great money, you know. It was going to be an opportunity. I mean, it was going to be it was going to be one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life, making more money than I'd ever made before. And that Monday when I'm expected to go in and take my ID and all that kind of stuff, they called me and said, hey, don't come. We just, we just got uh, letters. And, and so that kind of threw me in a tailspin, man. And, uh, and I thought I had a job lined up, so I stopped looking for work. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's, the, the irony of it is I got hired at Nielsen with my buddy uh, Jason. And then a couple of months after that, I got started working for the Dr. Phil show. But, but the mm-hmm. biggest thing, man, what, 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 uh, that you have to have is you have to have endurance because to have a career in this industry, you have to eat the elephant. And what I mean by that is that imagine you want to be an actor or you want to be a director. And so, you know, there's a lot of, there's millions of people all over the world who want to do, you know, one of these things. And so if I told you, if I told these people, I said, hey, man, if you eat that elephant, I guarantee that you'll be a successful director or whatever. And so, um, you know, some people eat the tail, and, and maybe 10% of them will say, hey, man, I can't eat no more than seven. This is horrible. And so they'll quit, and they'll go on to do other stuff. And so then sure. you know, some, some people eat a leg quarter. And they're like, man, I cannot take another bite of elephant. I'm out. <laughs> and then you'll have people that will be down to one ear, and they've eaten, you know, 85 90% of the elephant. And then they just said, man, I'm, I, I, I cannot, I'm, I'm done. It ain't, it ain't that deep. I can't do it anymore. And so <laughs> endurance, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I've seen that happen, man. I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've, there's guys who are uh, uh, way more talented than me. I got a buddy, man, Felix Johnson, um, who, who uh, is way funnier, way smarter, wittier than me. But he, he just didn't want to do it. And actually, I got him to be a part of my skit. I got him to do some stuff, you know, when we were doing things. But he didn't really want to pursue it as a career. And so I don't know if he was scared or it just wasn't his thing. Because you've got to love this. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, you, yeah. can't, you yeah. can't get in, into it for the money. It's the same thing with the NFL. You know, um, you can't get in it for the cheerleaders and the money because it's not guaranteed. It's not like you go to law school, you go to pre-law, get your J.D., you know, you go work for a, a, you know a, a lawyer, a firm, 
and then maybe you put your own shingle out. It's you. You can do everything that they say you're supposed to do, and it's still it's not guaranteed you have a spot at the table. And right. so through right. sheer will, so so you gotta love this. You know, you know what I'm saying? There's gotta be something yeah. that you really, really, really love. Um, to to uh, you know, to, to go through it because it's gonna be some hard times. And, well, and, the, uh, and the other thing is, if you don't love it, you have nothing to sustain you when you get a roadblock in front of you. Absolutely. I mean, you, 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 you know what I mean? There's no impetus to to work through any problem if you don't give a crap. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing, man. You know, I, and I, I ain't gonna lie, man. When I got into it, you know, yeah, I wanted to be, you know, I, you know, I really wanted to be rich and famous and meet cute women. And um, right. until I got bit by the bug, man, when I actually saw that I can affect people, when I, I you know, what we do, people look at it, oh, it's entertainment, it's, you know, it's frivolous or whatever, but and especially times like this where people are going through difficult stuff, um, what's one of the things you do when you're not feeling good, man? You 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 look at movies or you read a good book yeah. <laughs> or you listen yeah. to music, you know, and all of that is storytelling. You might go to the museum, you know, get out your house and just say, I need to get out because I'm feeling blue. You know, you go to the museum and look at some of your favorite artists' work. And so um, I, I had a sketch comedy troupe, man, and I remember uh, – friend of mine, Eric B., man, he had just lost his mother a couple of weeks before the show, and I'd given some, he and his wife some tickets. And uh, Eric came to the show, and, then, you know, what we were doing was on 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 a, on a scale of uh, what Dave Chappelle did with his sketch comedy show or Key and Peele, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, um, sure. Intelligent humor, you know, uh, with, you know, silliness, but we had a message in it or whatever, and people loved it and all that kind of stuff. And so Eric came to the show with his wife, and afterwards, you know, we, we always, man, we, we would sell out every every uh, weekend or whatever. And so after the show, you know, everybody's kind of hanging out, want to say hello and congratulate us. And Eric was there, and he gave me a hug. He said, man, thank you, thank you. So he gave me a big hug. Oh, he said, hey, my boy, I got you. He's like, no, no, man, you don't understand. He said, but it's the first time I laughed since my mom passed away. Thank you. Wow. Because he was tight with his mom. And, sure. um I had no idea when I'm writing, when I'm producing, when I'm promoting this show, that I was going to have that impact, that kind of emotional impact on someone. You know, with this, you know, it wasn't even like a like a play about a son and his mother. It was, you know, sketch comedy. You know, and so um, that blew me away, man. That really hit me, like wow, you know, the power of it. I remember I was doing a play. I was doing an August Wilson play, Joe Turner's Coming Gone, and uh-huh. uh, I gave this. I had this little monologue at the end of the first act. I played Harold Loomis, the lead. And uh, if you ask Carol Sutton, she'll tell you this is uh, this is when I became an actor, according to the history of, of New Orleans theater scene. But anyway, um, up until that point, man, I'm just kind of doing it. And, you know, just like any little young frivolous cat, I'm just, you know, it's all about being seen. You know, hey, man, look what I'm doing. And so um, when... Um, there, when I gave that monologue, man, I I heard sniffling in the audience. Okay. And, you know, pe- pe- yeah, yeah, man, that blew my mind because it was intimate, you know, maybe about a 100-seat seater at Gallagher Hall in in, uh, in in the city, man. And so and I heard people sniffling. And then it was a trip because after I, I'm done with my monologue or whatever, then the lights go down. I don't think we had curtains. The lights go down and the, the curtains closed or whatever, 
But uh, I remember just this perfect time, and I didn't really, I couldn't even time it like this. When I heard that, man, I felt something. And I, I took what I felt from hearing these people sniffling and crying, and a tear went down my eye, and my tear went with the, the dimming of the light. It was like we couldn't have planned it anymore. And I right. felt just a gasp in the audience, like, you know, like, I, like I'd taken their breath. You know, the, the, the moment was so powerful. And, it, and again, man, it, it wasn't even something that I was trying to do. I just kind of stumbled uh-huh. up on it. But, but what, I, what I realized was how powerful the storytelling medium is and what impact. So, again, man, those two things kind of said, okay, man, this is – so that's when I started getting – that's when I got bit by the bug, when I really made an effort to, to be, you know, uh, a, a great part of a story, to, you know, uh, right, a, a right. great collaborator. And, and whatever, you know, position I had in this storyteller, whether I'm directing, producing, whatever, uh, what, what, what can I do to, to bring, you know, help, you know, give this some, some, some life? Wow. Yeah, man, that's that's right. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes you'll get validation for your dedication to the craft. You know what I'm saying? And uh-huh. and and, yeah. and some and and those are the lucky times. Those are the times that seems to to. I mean, it's it just seems to be the perfect storm of mm-hmm. this is what I wanted to do. This is part of who I am, mm-hmm. and and now I realize that I am what I wanted to be. Yeah, no, you're absolutely Wait. right, man. It's like the perfect, you know, like you said, man. It's like lightning strike, and you know, just uh, maybe it's the creator's way of saying, you know what, you did, you picked the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. This is where you, you belong. You right. This is where you're supposed. Yeah, this is where you're supposed to be. And that's the thing, man. It's like yeah. you, you know, that's that's those perfect moments. And look, man, it's like probably eighty percent of the time, if not eighty-five, ninety percent of the time, you're not really. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's that's not part of course. But when they do, it's kind of like a you know a. Uh, I, I like to use uh, the analogy of sports a lot, man. It's like you take Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or somebody like that, man, and they're, they're chasing perfection. And so they might, you know, Jordan played 12 years. You know, uh-huh. play 82 games, not counting playoffs. Uh, sure. He might have hit perfection maybe 10 times in, in a 1,000 games. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, uh, right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he's won championships and played okay, played very good. He may have played perfect, and they lost by twenty. Uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. You know yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so at the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, man, it's all about winning. But it's like, okay, I, I did the. I, at the end of the day, I did. I, I maxed out with with the the talents and the gifts that I've been given. And uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but but yeah. I, I love this man. I love I, I love meeting new people. Uh, that's that's another thing. It's kind of transient, man. So every every project, I'm potentially meeting new lifelong friends. I'm, I'm meeting people from different backgrounds. I'm learning stuff. I've been in the game thirty years, man. 
And I don't think there's a set that I've been on that I didn't learn one thing because I'm always, you know, I'm at the point now, you know, when I was younger, I thought I knew everything. But I'm at a point uh-huh. now where I'm always looking for those nuggets, those teaching moments. Sure. You know? Sure. Because I, yeah. I teach. I teach acting and screenwriting at different entities. And so I'm always looking for something to give uh, because so many people gave to me, man. You know, uh, yeah. when I say I didn't have any formal training, and I had mentors. I had people that just looked out for me, uh, you know, you know, people that changed my life and my career at different points with information or a gesture that they did for me. So that's that's where I'm at right now, man, just trying to share any and everything I can to anybody who, who, who's open to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Any idea where you're going to be five years from now? I'll be 50. Let, no, let me put it. Let, let me put it this way. Where would you like to be? five years from now? I'll be 58 because, years old. I'd like to be semi-retired. <laughs> In other words, I'd like, okay. to, I'd, I'd, like to, to, uh, I'd like to be writing and selling scripts. I'd okay. like to produce stuff, but not physically have to be fighting with studios over but You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'd like to be like a I'm, – I'm, I'm a development um, producer or I'm a personality producer. In other words, say you got – Somebody on set, and they've got a, it's an act, and they got an issue, and I can act as an intermediary between them and the director, uh, or the or the studio, or if it's some script stuff, you know, I can I can shepherd a, a project from inception to, you know, to shooting. Um, I worked as an assistant with Paul Hall, who is, uh, you know, one of the great producers uh, in the industry. He was um, John Singleton's mentor. Um, okay. He produced Shaft. I think he did. Uh, he did a couple of things. He worked with Tyler Perry. I, I worked with Paul on a movie called Pride with uh, Bernie Mac, Terrence Howard, and um, Nate. Uh, what's my man Nate, who um, directed uh, Birth of a Nation? Nate Parker. Um, yeah. And and so uh, I, I worked with uh, Paul. He was a producer on on the film. He was a first time director from South Africa. Guy had been doing a lot of commercials in South Africa and Europe, had never shot anything. It's a period piece. It's all mostly African American department heads, and and it's in water. And it's the second film we shot in Louisiana and New Orleans after Katrina, after Deja Vu with Paula Patton and um, Denzel Washington. So we had a lot of talent. Okay. And sure. and I had an opportunity to watch Paul and Paul. Uh, you know, just great all-around guy, but very sharp. And he was somebody that I patterned myself after. And so um, that's what, I, you know, I, what I'd like to, where I'd like to be five, ten years from now, man, is um, empowering other storytellers to get their vision and their stories out, either as a writer, as a producer. I, I think probably as a producer, I can have more of an impact on more people than any other thing, you know, than writing or directing. Um, right. So, and so, so you see so yourself mentoring, don't you? I'm sorry, what you said, sir? So you see yourself mentoring, you know. You know I, yeah. I don't want no, that's, that's to say doing the now. cliche giving now. back, but, but it sounds like what you want to do is you want to take what you know, you want to take what you've learned, you want to take, you know, the trials and tribulations that you suffered through, and and maybe give people a leg up so that maybe they don't have to learn it all the hard way. Would that be Absolutely. fair? Absolutely. In other words, 
Absolutely, man. Like, you know, I've, I've been doing that for probably the last 20 years, you know, mentoring okay. people. Even when I was a young young guy, a lot of times I, I've, I've always worked with young people because I, I believe that it keeps you younger and it challenges you, and you need to have sure. an ear to what's going on, you know, and, 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 and culturally as a content creator. And so, you know, I, like right now I'm teaching acting and I have students from 8 years old to 65 years old. You know, uh, I teach screenwriting to first and second graders. I'm teaching them basic storytelling structures. I'm, I'm taking, you know, a lot of times I meet kids when they're older and they, uh, you know, they say they hate reading or they hate writing. And, and, right. and there's several reasons why that is. And so what I try to do is at an early age to make that fun because you're going to need that. Regardless of what you want to do, you're going to have to know how to read and write to be successful, you know. And so, um, so that's what I, and that's my family, man. That's, that's what my mother, my father, and all my extended family was. And so, I, I'm doing that now. I've been, like I said, I've been doing that for the last 20 years. But I want to continue doing. It. I want to do it even more. So I want to be a philanthropist, you know, which means that I've made a, a lot of money in the last, in, the, in, in those 10 years. Uh, sure. and, and that's what I want to do. You know, I want, I want to have the freedom to to uh, to do it my way, man. You know what I'm saying? To, to be yeah. able oh, to, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of times, man, sometimes you get on that, that treadmill, and no matter how successful you are, man, you just, you got to keep that grind going, and uh, I don't want to be 65 years old working like a dog, you know, I want to, that's, directing is a young man's game, you, you know, to, to do it, you know, look, if you got a story, and you're very passionate about it. You can be whatever age. You get some good people around you. You can get that done, or you can get two or three done. But to to have a career, you know, that's a lot of energy, a lot of, and it's getting harder and harder to get financing and getting the right distribution and you know all the stuff that goes along with it. And so, I, I would like to be in a position to uh, be able to impact a large amount of creative people who are you know trying to tell stories. And, and, I, and I'd like to, and I'd like to be financially, uh, you know, well off. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, yeah, too. that's true. Yeah, Again, I. Uh, it's that, it's that, you know, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was thinking, you know, first of all, we're running out of time, but you know, I was thinking about, you know, how I, I look at my life, you know, like for a while there, I wanted to retire in St. Croix until these, you know, till September came and completely wiped out the islands. You know, all it, like you right. talked about, we have reinvented our, ourselves a number of different ways. And, and I always have a couple of things that I kind of have on the back burner that I kind of practice on the fly just in, the, in, in case things go bad or, or don't go the way that I, I want. But, you know, I don't want to be left there holding the bag or completely without uh, uh, recourse. And, and one of the things that I, I, I keep in my, kinda in, my, in my pocket is, um, being able to ask, oh, do you want fries with that? And, and the other one is, will that be paper or plastic? And I figure if I keep <laughs> those skills up, I'm going to have something I can fall back on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> look, I'm, 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 <laughs> um, Terrence, this has been a great, it's been a great time, man. I hope you had a good time with the interview. I mean, because you know, I mean, you're man. somebody I want to have come back. You know, even if it's five years from now, you're 58 and you're kind of sitting back, laying back, you know, trying yeah, to. No, man, we got we, we to do it before that, man. We got to do it before that, man. I got, like I said, I got some projects coming up within the 
next year. So, you know, some of these things, are gonna, we're going to be getting them done. So I'd, I'd like to come out and, and give you an exclusive before we go to ABC and Jimmy Kimmel and all these guys. Oh, man, that would be great. On. Thank <laughs> you very much. And the other thing you might want to think of is if you can find a role, a paying role for an older Japanese role, I'm your man, okay? I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm there for you. I'll put that in my bonus. So look, man, when I give you the call, don't don't look, don't don't backpedal on me now. You can put it in the air. No, dude. I. You know what? That's the other thing. You know, every time I do a new project, I learn something that that means something to me. And also, the other cool thing is, every time I do a new project and I do it with anybody with new people, I get to find people who I never would have met otherwise. And that's important to me, and that's a big damn deal because, you know, a lot of people leave insular lives and they never meet anybody. They don't go anywhere. They don't do anything, and I, I just can't right. see that for me. No, no, I feel you, man. I, I that's that's why I love the, the collaborative nature of what we do, man, and you know, just uh, constantly meeting new people, new cool people, man. It's, I'm, I'm curious. You got to be curious about the world to be a good storyteller. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, yeah, and have absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and and be motivated by you know hearing stuff and saying, man, that's similar to what you know something that happened to me back in New Orleans. You know, I, you could be in Ghana somewhere or whatever, and something hits you and say, man, I gotta you know. So so that's 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 the key, man. Just uh, you know, just being open to the universe, man. Yeah, hang hang on for a minute because after the show, in case anybody in the chat room has any last questions for you, we'll ask that. See, that's just bait to make people come and listen to the show live because we don't record uh-huh. the after show. So can you hold okay. on for a few minutes? Absolutely. Are you cool with that? Oh, and somebody yes, in here mentioned, uh, you're not logged into the chat room, but somebody mentioned in here that you forgot to mention working at NRG while you were in L.A. No, I did say it. Uh, uh, Nielsen. Oh, did Nielsen. you? Well, th- then the hell yeah, with yeah. them. You know, that's why no, the people in the chat room are not on the show. Tell them I gave them a big shout-out. Okay, cool. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, hopefully Jarvis is not downstairs having wings because he's done a great job getting in shape lately. Um, he usually okay. closes yeah, up yeah. the show. I, I hope he's on his way upstairs. Oh. Well, we just lost Terrence. Um, he just dropped off there. Uh, I hope he comes back. If he doesn't come back, uh, Jarvis, why don't you talk to us for a moment? <laughs> Jarvis, are you there? I heard All you right. briefly. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. All right, good deal. So I've been just sitting back listening to all of this great information, trying to learn a little something from you guys' expertise. And as always, I want to thank everyone for um, participating, whether you actually were in the chat room or shared it online, um, whatever fashion you support the show, I appreciate it. Are you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me? No, oh, and, yeah, and, you know, it, it, yeah for, for me, um, like I said, you know, the best part of this show is having met all of these people over the years who I never would have met any other way. And also, I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do the show, you know, week after week after week. Um, it, it has I mean, become a labor of love. It's become a labor of love because I haven't had a raise in five years. But... Uh, <laughs> 
Well, hold up. Uh, I'll tell you what. This Christmas, you'll get twice what you got last year. I'm going to double it. Wow. Are, now, are they going to be in different colors? In, in different colors. What color do you prefer? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm down for that. Um, I want to thank everybody who listened to this live. I want to thank the people who picked this, picked this up as a, as a podcast. As always, we appreciate you being there. And uh, on behalf of Jarvis and uh, Terrence, uh, who dropped off, it looks like, oh, he's, he's actually in the chat room. I don't okay. know if he's going to log back in. But let's do this. Let's, uh, let's call an end to the show and hope uh, we see everybody back next week. And let's hang here and see if he dials back in again. All right? So uh, All right. on behalf of Jarvis and myself, I want to thank everybody for being here. And we will see or be around next Friday night. Have a good uh, week ahead of you guys. All right. Thanks again, Terrence. You were fantastic.